So our sermon series, uh, Finding uh, Joy in the Real World, Five Habits for Living, um, is continuing. It's basically biblical concepts that if we uh, incorporate them into our life, um, will make us happier, will help us to find joy in this life. Uh, last week, we talked about generosity and, and how doing for others actually is good for our health, <laughs> stunningly enough. Um, today, we're going to talk about uh, walking with God. Our scripture today comes uh, from the prophet Micah. Uh, Micah is one of the 12 minor prophets. Uh, he prophesied from about 737 to about uh, 696 B.C. Remember, it goes backwards. So, um, and uh, he lived in Judah, and this was a time when there were two Jewish countries. There was Judah and there was Israel. And mostly he prophesied about the downfall of Jerusalem, which was in Israel. Uh, but, but one of the things that he really railed against was um, unscrupulous business practices. Uh, how the poor were being taken advantage of by the rich. He cited dishonest practices and also sort of the heart of the religious authorities. So Micah 3.11, he says, uh, its, rules, its rulers give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets give oracles for money. Yet, they lean upon the Lord and say, surely the Lord is with us. No harm shall come to us. At, at this point in time, uh, religious, religion had become really a means to an end. It provided us comfort, um, and it was a method, sort of a way to keep safe and be blessed. For, for the Jew at that point, it really had become more like, what can God do for me, as opposed to what does God want from me, right? So Micah 6.11 says, can I tolerate wicked scales and a bag of dishonest weights? So those are some of the things that he was talking about. And one of the prophetic styles that, that they used frequently was they would speak as if there was a trial, as if there were like a lawyer making a case. And that's exactly what's happening in the text that we're going to look at today. It's Micah 6, uh, 1 through 8. So hear these words. And this is really sort of God speaking through the prophet Micah. Hear what the Lord says. Rise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the controversy of the Lord, and you, in, you enduring foundations of the earth, for the Lord has a controversy with his people, and he will contend with Israel. O oh, my people, what have I done to you? In what way have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Oh, my people, remember now what King Balak of Moab devised, what Balaam son of Boar answered him, and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the saving acts of the Lord. 
What shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with tens of thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Sounds kind of like a parent to me. Why have you turned against me? Look at all the things I have done for you. Look at all the things I have given you. God begins by making this claim in front of the very things that he had created. The mountains, the hills, all of these things that he had created and are really immortal. And he is making a case to these folks about we mortals. And he makes his case. I have done all of this for you and you have turned your back on me. And then he speaks for the Jews, and, and he, he's speaking in a really sarcastic way, saying, what, what should I do? Should I bow down before the God of the universe? Should, should I make all of these sacrifices in, in order to pay for all that you have done for me? It gets to this ridiculous level with tens of thousands of rivers of oil. He then gives us the answer in verse 8. He reminds us what God requires of us to seek justice, love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. That doesn't sound so hard, does it? To do justice, love kindness, and walk with your God. I mean, to do justice is kind of like to do what is right. I mean, sometimes it's really not that hard to do right. I mean, I haven't stolen anything this morning. I haven't killed anybody this month. I mean, it's, sometimes it's not so hard to do what's right. But to, to love justice or to, to seek justice is more than just doing what is right. It is to seek to stop injustice. That's what seeking justice is. And that's, that's where it gets kind of hard, kind of scary, kind of tricky. Because in order to stop injustice, I've got to do what? Put myself out there. I may have to take some risk. Some of you may remember the quote, for evil to triumph, only good men should do nothing, and evil will triumph. Seek justice. That means to seek to stop injustice. 
that, quote, more properly said, as the only thing that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. And there's truth in that. I mean, last week we talked about it was the 77th anniversary of D-Day. You look at what happened in the Holocaust, and that was a lot of good people not doing anything. I mean, Germany invaded country after country. Poland, France, Denmark, Hungary. And they set about systematically extinguishing the Jews. It happened in every country but one. And that was Denmark. They didn't have a gigantic Jewish population, but Denmark is not a large country. Their leadership had sort of negotiated a deal. They sort of gave up Denmark even without a fight. And the Nazis came in and took over, and local rule was pretty much intact. And then, that was in 1940. And over time, the Nazis began to create more influence and demand more of the local government, and the local government wouldn't accede to their wishes. And in September of 1943, the Germans decided that they were going to, on Rosh Hashanah, round up all the Jews in Denmark and send them off to the death camps. Denmark at the time was a Christian nation, very much so a Christian nation. And so the people of Denmark found out about this, and they went to work. And they began hiding their Jewish neighbors and friends and co-workers. Switzerland is not terribly far away. In the space of a week, they were able to move 90% of their Jewish population to Switzerland. Only 51 Danish Jews were killed by the Nazis. Why did the Danish people do that? Because it was in their character. It's who they were. They they didn't have to stop and think, oh, this is an injustice. I have to do something about it. They just did it. 90% of the Jews in that country survived the Holocaust because people didn't do nothing. They seek to stop and injustice. You compare that to what happened in Germany. I mean, the German people, especially the ones that lived in the areas near these camps, they knew what was going on. And they turned their eyes. I'm going to read to you a story. It's by a woman named Penny Lee. The title of it is Sing a Little Louder. I lived in Germany during the Nazi Holocaust. I considered myself a Christian. 
I attended church since I was a small boy. We had heard the stories of what was happening to the Jews. But like most people today in this country, we tried to distance ourselves from the reality of what was really taking place. What could anyone do to stop it? A railroad track ran behind our small church, and each Sunday morning we would hear the whistle from the distance and the clacking of the wheels moving over the track. We became disturbed when one Sunday we noticed cries from the train as it passed by. We grim grimly realized that the train was carrying Jews. They were like cattle in those cars. Week after week, that train whistle would blow. We would dread to hear the sound of those old wheels because we knew that the Jews would begin to cry to us as they passed our church. It was so terribly disturbing. We could do nothing to help these poor, miserable people, yet their screams tormented us. We knew exactly at what time the whistle would blow, and we decided that the only way to keep from being so disturbed by the cries was to start singing our hymns. By the time the train came rumbling past the churchyard, we were singing at the top of our voices. If some of the screams reached our ears, we'd just sing a little louder until we could hear them no more. Years passed, and no one talks about it much anymore, but I still hear that train whistle in my sleep. I can still hear them crying out for help. God forgive all of us who called ourselves Christians, yet did nothing to intervene. Do justice, love what is good, and walk humbly with your God. Better translation is to love goodness. To love goodness doesn't just mean that you're a spectator for good. To love goodness doesn't mean you get to look around and see something good happen and go, oh, yay! To love goodness means it's who you are. It's a part of who you are and how you live. To love goodness means that you don't have to stop and think, oh, I'm going to do something kind for somebody today. You don't have to think that because you just do it all the time. It's how you live your life. To love goodness means it's who you are. To love good or kindness is to make it a part of who you are. The Danish people could do nothing but save their Jewish neighbors because it's who they were. It's what they were. Which kind of Christian are you going to be? Are you going to be one who takes action? Or are you going to be one who sees injustice 
and just sings a little louder. You get to choose that. You you get to choose what kind of a Christian you're going to be. You get to choose how you are going to live your life. You get to choose what is important to you. It's your choice. The last part I love. You're supposed to love, do justice, love kindness or goodness, and walk humbly with your God. What does that mean to walk humbly with your God? Well, I think it starts with recognizing you aren't God. You need God. You need salvation. You need the gift of grace. To walk humbly with your God means that you don't have this. You're going to need some help. If you're going to be the kind of Christian that does good, seeks justice, you're going to need some help. And it comes from walking with your God. It means that we don't ask how God can provide for me, but rather how I can serve my God. That's what it means to walk humbly with your God. It's not say, oh God, bless me. But to ask God, how can I serve you? What do you want of my life? One of the songs we sang earlier says, Here I am offering myself. That's what it means to walk humbly with your God. Is it your concern? It's not what God can do for you, but what you can do for the kingdom of God. If you can incorporate in your life this this need to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God, you can find joy in this lifetime now. It's one of the habits that if we make them a part of our life, will help us to find joy Also, be the kind of Christian that doesn't just sing a little louder when we see injustice and wrong. It takes courage. It takes courage to stand up and say that is wrong. But your God is with you. Your God will give you strength to be the kind of Christian that you would like to be. Let us pray. Gracious and almighty God, we want so badly to walk humbly with you. Father, just remove all pride from us. Help us to recognize how badly and truly we really need your love and your grace and your presence in our life. Father, help us to be, have the courage to be 
the kind of follower that seeks to do justice, that seeks to stop injustice, and let kindness be a part of our very soul so that we need not even think about doing a kind act. It just happens because that's the kind of people that we are. Father, for your grace, for your presence with us this day, we give you thanks. Make us bold to do big things for your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.